in the podcast production system, there are two separate but equally important groups, the guests who think they have something to say and the hosts who completely exploit them. These are their stories. interview for you people this week. I am Matty Rockdaff, host of the Media Virus Podcast, and this is special podcast interview unit. We have a very cool guest for this uh, first spinoff. He is a retired NYP detective turned author, writing uh, several behind-the-scenes tell-all books, including Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's Auto Crime Division, NYPD Law and Disorder, and the NYPD's Flying Circus, Crime, Cops, and Chaos. Please welcome Vic Ferrari. Vic, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, boys. Thanks for having me on your show. I don't know, I don't know if I can <laughs> raise the bar to that introduction. You guys have a, I mean, that's great. I, lo- I love your, your opening. I mean, that's great. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, um, you know, cop shows, uh, you know, law, law and Order. I mean, that's where I... We, I've had that much longer. Like it, this all came together with, you know, and with you saying how we can't do a Wednesday. I can't do a Wednesday, man. Uh, let's do a Tuesday. And I was like, all right, let's do a Tuesday. And then we all, you know, trying to rush and all these great ideas kind of, kind of came. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, that was all for you, um, Vic. I but um, I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, now you've actually written for, uh, behind-the-scenes books about the NYPD. I left out uh, NYPD through the looking glass because I like to do things in odd numbers. Um, but it, let me ask you this. What was, your, uh, what was the initial reaction of, like, your former colleagues to, like, having kind of, like, their pants, like, pulled down? If You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Listen, I spent the, from when I, before I put out the first book, right, I spent a year of my life putting this book together and writing all these stories. And I'm sitting there with my finger on the button, just about to <laughs> upload it to the Amazon platform. And I'm like, what am I fucking nuts? Like, like, you know, like, man, I mean, you know, it's like, I'm setting off a rocket here, you know, but I mean, I did say before I got into writing my NYPD books, I said to myself, the two things I didn't want to do was I didn't want to get anybody in trouble or divorced so I changed the names, the ranks, the locations, the precincts of where I worked. I mean, if if you knew me and worked with me, you, you're going to know damn well who I'm talking about. But to the average person that picks it up or even NYPD members, they might go, oh, yeah, I heard about a guy like that up in the Bronx. Or, yeah, I heard that story about that cop out in Brooklyn. But I, I try to, like like you see at the end of a Law & Order episode, no person's depicted in this episode. Yeah. I don't want to get sued. I don't want to ruin well, anyone's like the old- life. The old, the old dragnet, like oh, you know, this right. you know, all the names and the and locations have been changed. And right. So that's uh, that was because I'll be honest with you, man. If uh, if Mike 
uh, our you know executive producer, the Reverend and Professor Michael Torres, uh, ever wrote a book about how much of a dumbass I was, I would be really, really pissed off. <laughs> so <laughs> I would, that was my first like thought when I when I oh, started yeah. like, you know going through your 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 profile and you know your, your bio and stuff, and I was like, what what? Uh, so you know that makes sense that you changed you know you, you changed it up, but still you're kind of you're still kind of you know exposing a lot of like the, the higher ups probably had a bigger problem than just. I don't care about them. Um, it was more. It was more about my buddies and the rank and file members of the department. Listen, if if you're going to rise through the ranks of the New York City Police Department, right? So, sergeant, lieutenant, captain, all civil service exams, right? Anything above the rank of captain, deputy inspector, inspector, deputy chief, chief, one star, two star, three star chief. That's where the politicking begins. I mean, I really don't have sympathy for those people because a lot of them, don't get me wrong, there were some big bosses that were decent people, but a lot of them, I mean, they basically turned into scumbags. Well, scumbags their whole career. That's how they got in there. Oh, yeah. So I really, you know, I don't spare them as much. I mean, I do change the names and the dates and locations, but especially the bigger boss. Oh, you know, anybody in the NYPD knows who I'm talking about. And I was afraid of blowback. But the funny thing is, within months, Everybody started reaching out to me. Oh, that's great. You should have wrote about this guy. So, you know, right. I had my friends that were nervous wrecks, you know, that I was going to fuck them over. And now all of a sudden they're feeding me stories like, oh, rem- I just on the phone with my friend today. You got to write about this guy. Remember him? And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe I will, you know, so. So you remember remember that time that, uh, you know, O'Malley got drunk and drove his squad car into the Hudson River? Like, oh, fuck yeah, I remember that. No, I, I, I yeah. No, like that happens. And um, so you you stopped cringing every time the phone rang and thinking about where your go bag was and 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 making sure the car was gassed up so you could get away fast. You were like, ah, maybe it's more. (laughs) Maybe it's more. Yeah, you make me sound like Mike in his last episode of Breaking Bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's time to go. So. I did some. I did some spot reading of 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 some of the material today, Um, and I have to say. I like your writing style. It, it's similar to what my writing style when I sit down and 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 write something to relate out to to people. And it seems to me it comes from an internal monologue. It, like you sit mm-hmm. down and the voice in your head is talking to you, and you're just taking dictation. Is is that kind of like the process? I mean, that's that's what it feels like when it reads. Yeah, absolutely. And I enjoy writing dialogue. Um, I'm writing a story in a new book that I'm writing now, and it's about this lieutenant that was famous in Manhattan South. And whenever you got sent to the bar, sent to Manhattan South to work a parade, a demonstration, a strike, this fucking guy was running around with like a chicken without a head with this bullhorn and screaming at you. And the name of the subchapter is Never Trust an Idiot with a Bullhorn. <laughs> and at one point, at one, I was working the Easter parade, which that is the easiest parade as an NYPD cop. It's on a Sunday. There's no alcohol. There's no political agenda. Yep. It, it's fucking bonnets and bunnies hang, passing out chocolate along, you know, lower Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And this fucking guy is face the crowd, face the crowd. And I'm and he pulled. I was I turned around and he grabbed me and he goes, and I was a rookie cop. He goes, Ferrari, if there was a sniper in the crowd, you would have never have seen him. And in the book, I write sniper. Who the fuck wants to kill the Easter Bunny? Like, and you're right; it's the internal dialogue yes. that I write. Like, what's going on in my head? Something. Yep. Like, what is this guy a fucking clown? You know what I mean? Because we all think that, and it's funny if you can, yep, put that into writing. Yep. 
Now I did take uh, a couple, I kind of started all your books because um, I didn't know like which one was the, well, I mean, I figured it out eventually, which one was the latest one, which one you might be promoting. Um, but I started out with dickheads and debauchery, hoping, uh, hoping that was kind of like a, a, like a user's guide, kind of like instructions on how to be a dickhead and perform debauchery. But it was really just like how to die. It was really, this is how you can, this is how you can go kill yourself. Not kill yourself, but you know, uh, it kind of like your tips on wellness, and then the you know the four the four books, and then the one that I really identified with was the you know I survived uh, uh, I survived uh, uh, no confessions of a Catholic school, school gra- graduate confessions of a Catholic school yeah I I did not graduate from Catholic school, but I went for a really long time. <laughs> um, so you know I I but I did enjoy your your writing style it 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 felt conversational like i was talking to you and and that's the kind of stuff where i i'll engage more more often you know and i i so i just i just kind of piggyback on you know what mike was saying all of them are good reads but um, i i appreciate that and i try you know it's you, you walk a fine line when you're writing a book or writing anything because you don't want to come off like a snob but at the same time, like in uh, my book, NYPD Law and Disorder, there's a chapter. I open it up with the t- the opening chapter is embarrassing moments. And it's fuck ups that happened to me during my NYPD career, because most authors like to paint themselves as a hero. You know what I mean? We save the day in the nick of time. We have the witty comeback. We're the badass. And there's the opening story is about I'm taking a dump in a public restroom in uniform and these hood rats come running into the bathroom. And they're knocking around in the bathroom and I've got my gun belt hung up on, on the stall hook. And one of them runs into the next stall, jumps up on the toilet seat. And I look up and he's reaching over trying to grab my gun belt. And I'm like, oh, shit. So with my left hand, I try to pull up my pants and I reach up. I grab the kid around the neck <laughs> and I pull him across the stall. But when I do that, I bring him to my gun. And he grabs onto that old Sam Brown gun belt with a 38 hanging in a swivel holster. And I'm like, oh, shit. So with my left hand, I let go of the, my pants, which now hit the floor. Right. And I'm just it's a hockey fight. I'm punching him in the head. <laughs> let go. Let go. His friends run into the next stall. They grabbed his legs. And now we're in a tug of war. And, oh, you know, wow. those aluminum walls uh-huh, in, a, in, a, uh-huh. in a bathroom. It's not it's not going to hold a 135 pound kid for long. The bolts are coming out of the wall. Right. Finally, he lets go with a gun belt that hits the floor like a fumble. I let go of him. I go to pick up my pants. I pull them up. I strap on my gun belt. They run out. I run out into this food court area, and there's like a 300-pound porter with one of those uh, floor buffing things. It was like 9 o'clock at night. And I run up to him. I'm throwing my hands in front of his face. I'm like, Poppy, Poppy, did you see these kids? He takes off his Sony Walkman. He looks up, and he burps, and he goes, no. So at that point, what was I supposed to do? Call the cops? Had I right. called, if I gotten on the radio and called the 1013, which the fucking cavalry would have showed up. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to explain to the cops in the 4-4 precinct, which is the neighborhood around the courthouse. I was taking a shit and these kids almost got my gun belts. And yeah. I want to give you a description. I would have been the laughing stock of the Bronx. Right. So sometimes it's best just to suck it up and move on with your life. And I didn't, I told no one that story until I wrote NYPD law and disorder. Yeah, I mean, honestly, did you I, I did you do it. the immediate paperwork though? <laughs> did you like go, go back? <laughs> uh, I went back and fucking wiped my ass, and then got on okay, with my life. 
that's, that's, that's what I was just about to ask. Because if I was gonna, if I was gonna like call that in, I'd be like, I'm gonna go wipe my ass first. Then I'm gonna let them know what happened. You know, well, you would have put it over. Looking back, I would have just put it over as a 1013 officer needs assistance, and I just would have started giving a description, and I wouldn't have been, I would have been very vague on what they were wanted for. Probably would have said a robbery yeah. or assault on an on an MOS, which means member of the service, and then, and then had they caught them. I would have had a lot of explaining to do, but I, it happened so fast. It's in a men's room. It was like, you know what? It's, it's just taking all my life. They don't, they don't have like its own number, like officer assaulted while taking a shit. Cause you think they would, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. And like, I think that would be its own secret thing. Cause I mean, I feel like that it's gotta happen often. I mean, not I've often, never, I've never heard be. of a, I've never heard of a cop losing his gun in a stall like that. Now it's happened where guys have said, I went to the bathroom and I left my gun behind. Now, could that have happened? Possible. Probably not probable, yeah, but, no, you know, no. yeah. Well, does, does the number of guns or officer guns dropped in toilets rival the number of cell phones dropped in toilets? I doubt Stop. it. I'm dating myself. We didn't have, well, we, we actually did have cell phones. I retired in 2007, so we did have cell phones, but they were the flip phones. It wasn't. I don't think they had the iPhone yet. And before that, yet you you're walking around with like a cordless <laughs> phone in yeah. your hand, like the fucking size. Yeah. Of, and before that, Bigger remember it looked like, a, looked like a Bond villain carried a fucking yeah. briefcase with a car battery, yeah, right? Bigger attached, than your walkie. Attached to yeah. the phone. <laughs> bigger than your walkie. Yeah, right. Uh, now, uh, in Grand Theft Auto, you go into like, um, you know, great detail about the, your time in the auto crime unit. Uh, what are the ingredients for a really good car theft ring? There's different there's different types of car thieves, believe it or not. So you got the garden variety ones, the pains in the ass. That's the kids, right? So teenagers, they learn how to steal. Someone teaches them, their older brother or something teaches them how to steal. Like in my day, it was the Toyota Corolla, Toyota Celica, Honda Accord, because they had easy ignitions to break. All you really yeah. needed was a screwdriver or a good pair of fucking scissors. Like remember the yep. ones your mother used to have, those yep. big ones? You get that in there. That you couldn't use for paper, yeah. Right. Yeah. So they and then junkies. Junkies are another pains in the ass because junkies will steal cars to get around. They get around to commit other crimes. They sell parts off the car. They want to get high in a park somewhere. So they got a stolen car. They'll shoot up and park it in the woods somewhere. It's like theirs. They'll hold on to it forever. Then you got the pros. You have car thieves that they're not professionals, but they will steal kids that are into racing. Right, guys yep. that are into racing, they're racing BMWs, um, they're racing Hondas, they're they're souping up their Acuras, they're fucking around on the weekend, they blow an engine. Well, they don't got the money, three grand for an engine. So what do they do? They're gonna go steal go your Acura yeah. out of your driveway. Go boost a car and get some parts. Right. Then you got the pros. They work for the junkyards, they work for the salvage yards, they work for guys that are shipping cars out of the country. They're professional steel guys and they get paid between 500 and a grand for a car. So we would so, pick off the garden variety ones and we would do cases on the big, you know, the big yeah. time car thieves. Well, actually it would start more where the cars were going. So we would do a case on a chop right. shop, a junkyard. We had a case where they were exporting 30 stolen cars a month out of China, out of a warehouse in Brooklyn. So 
we're on them and that's how we will catch the Carthys. Then we have to ID them and follow them around to find out who they are. So when we take the case down, we can run, we call them the crumbs, get good, all the crumbs. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, is it is it better to start out like with a network of chop shops or to get really good wheelmen to like steal the cars? Is it more important to steal them quickly or to get them out quickly? It depends. Um, before before LoJack and GPS and tracking devices and before technology kind of put a dent, you got to remember when I was a cop in the eighties and nineties, New York City was averaging over one hundred and fifty thousand stolen cars a year. So it was like fucking shooting fish in the barrel. So if we're yeah. riding around in a car, we had a computer terminal, the little computers that you could punch plates. It was like going to a casino. You would just keep hitting plates and bing, one would come up stolen and you were off to the races. Um, but what, what these tracking devices did was when they first started with LoJack and then I think it was the North Star system, we were getting hits in these junkyards and we'd get search warrants and run in and bust up the chop shop. And then under the Giuliani administration, they started this program called the nuisance abatement program, which meant, and I forget, I think if, if, if you had more than two or three felony arrests in a location in within a year, the city could force the landlord to kick that person out who's renting, or if it was the owner, they'd have to sell the business. So that put a lot of the junkyards and chop mm -hmm. shops out of business. So then we drove them into vacant lots. We drove them into the woods off the side of highways. These guys were Jersey. smart. Like they would, oh, yeah. <laughs> or they'd go to Jersey. Oh, fuck. I used to feel bad. We would do cases out in Jersey with Newark, Irvington, Patterson. And the NYPD, we've got any at any given time 30 to 35,000 members, right? Yep. These small police departments, like the auto crime division, the NYPD was 120 detectives. Newark had like two guys. Yeah. We used to feel so bad. Like we would go out there to visit them. We almost felt bad <laughs> leaving them behind because it was like, man, I feel bad for those fucking guys. Yeah. They weren't even allowed to chase. Oh, joining us is our uh, BBC correspondent, Big Daddy. How you doing today, Stanley? I, I, I've been here for a while. I, have you been here? Yeah. I yeah. just saw you for the first time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, now, so is it better like if I were going to like like try to get into like stealing cars now is it better to get into like uh old higher mileage cars and try to find like a Mexican connection or should I try for trophy cars for, for the Middle East well you're talking about you're a thief no I'm just fucking with you I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right no I'm, I'm trying to figure out which market you're looking for well I was the that was the <laughs> It was, I didn't, Listen, I dude, slowly this different ethnic groups. We did, I mean, you ever see the movie Heat with De Niro and Pacino? All right, yeah, so we did, we, did we, we were the same as them, except not as well-dressed. We worked on crews. So we had guys, we, had, we did a case with guys from Antigua that were shipping a couple of stolen SUVs a month to Antigua. We had guys, the Dominicans up in the Heights, we had so many car thieves up there, we couldn't keep track. We used to say we didn't know how the Dominican Republic didn't sink with the amount of <laughs> stolen cars, trucks, and heavy equipment that we, they used to fucking ship out there. I mean, we, we did a case one time where one of our thieves was hanging out with our informant, and he stole Mike Tyson's Ducati over the weekend. Ooh. So, oh, wow. so I'll tell you that story. So there was this pain-in-the-ass car thief named Horatio, and he used to pal around with our CI. And our CI calls up my partner one day, and he goes, you're not going to believe this. 
He says, but I was hanging out with Horatio. We saw Mike Tyson on the West Side Highway. Horatio followed him. He goes, he parks down at the Javits Center, which is like where they have all the trade shows, uh-huh. the boat shows, the car shows. Mike Tyson goes in. He's signing autographs and he walks into the Javits Center. Horatio jumps on his Ducati, which at the time was like a $30,000 bike. God only knows yeah. what it's worth yeah. now. Breaks the ignition. Horatio drives the bike back up to the heights and it's in his apartment. I'm like, fucking great. Give us the apartment number. We're going to get a warrant. Knock down his fucking door. And he goes, well, hang out. He goes, hold off on that. He goes, he's already chopped the bike. He goes, he's going to ship that bike and like three or four other bikes to the Dominican Republic. We said, all right, get us the VIN numbers and let us know when those bikes are ready to go. This guy was feeding us so much shit. We like basically forgot about that. A couple of weeks later, I'll never forget. It's a Sunday. My partner calls me up. I'm watching football. And he goes, do you want to make overtime? I go, what's up? He goes, remember Mike Tyson's Ducati? I go, yeah. He says, well, Horatio and his friends, they chopped the bikes up. They bubble wrapped them. They put them in crates and they're going to steal a van and load the the motorcycles in parts Mm -hmm. in crates and they're going to get shipped. And I was like, oh, we're going to Newark because a lot of our stuff went out of port in Newark. I says, we'll call customs. He goes, no, he goes, going to Kennedy Airport. There was an air freight company that Mm -hmm. flew shit to the Dominican Republic. So we went out to Kennedy Airport. We're hanging around this shipper, and here comes this stolen van with three guys in it with all these bikes in the back in crates. And mm-hmm. from what I remember, Mike, I didn't deal with Tyson, but my old partner did the following morning through his representatives, and he mm-hmm. got to speak to Tyson. And Tyson was not happy because, you know, he got his bike stolen. And, you know, if you get your car or motorcycle stolen, if <coughs> – if it's not recovered, if it's if it's not recovered after 30 days, the insurance company cuts you a check, right? Saying. We got the bike back within 30 days. So it's like, here you go, Mr. Tyson. Here's your fucking bike and parts. And your insurance company your will pay a guy to bike, put it back. Fucker. And he did. He was pissed. I bet. Yeah, I mean, especially he, he when would, they chopped it. He was not ecstatic. <laughs> well, yeah, and this was like, what year was this? This would have been uh, 97, 98. Yeah, so he, he so wasn't as the, nice as he is now. Then. Yes, before the face tattoo. <laughs> wow. Oh, man, that's a fight. Uh, so now you were highlighting in, in one of your books that, uh, you know, cops do have a sense of humor. My question is, like, knowing that, co- like, I kind of always figured they do. And that was one of the things I loved about Law & Order, the old Law & Order shows, was that, you know, the Jerry Orbach uh, character made those great jokes. You want to hear a Jerry Orbach story? Yeah. Fuck yeah, I want to hear a Jerry. Okay. (laughs) So every NYPD cop hates, hates, hates working New Year's Eve on Times Square. Okay. It sucks. Don't go down there. Don't take it off your fucking bucket list. First of all, the cops got to get down there three, four o'clock in the afternoon. They line you up in rows of eight. Like five thousand cops down there, right? Mm-hmm. And then they assign you different posts. You put when you see those people, like those cameras from above, and they're all they're packed in like fucking cattle. Yep. Okay. Like like packed on top of each other. There's no place to go to the bathroom because all those fucking restaurants have had their places trashed before. So unless you're a cop or you got a reservation, you're not going to use their bathroom. So people are shitting, pissing. Throwing up. I've seen women change tampons in the fucking crowd. It's like Calcutta. You don't want to be in there. And then when that fucking ball drops, right? It's pandemonium. People are pushing, getting groped. And then what happens is the hood rats come from the different boroughs and they hang out. It's like watching the Discovery Channel or Animal Planet because they're sober as a judge and they're like hyenas and they just sit back and wait. This guy's got a brand new iPhone. 
This guy flashed cash. This guy's got a brand new ring, right? And they will follow people in different directions. There's millions of people down there. There's no way to... And fucking 10 minutes after that ball drops, people are running up to you with fucking knots on their head. Hey, I just got punched in the teeth and someone took my ring. Someone, and people get robbed all the time. So one year, early on, as we're lined up and they're, they're breaking us up, you had to have like 5,000 cops. Jerry Orbach and his wife and another couple come bouncing out of a restaurant and somebody yelled, nobody puts baby in a corner, Jerry. And he was just like, <laughs> you could tell, like, it's like 5,000 cops calling his name and busted his ball. He loved it. Like he had this yeah. big shitty grin. It was like, you know, so he, he was a nice guy. I also got to meet you guys. I don't know. I'm dating myself. Do you know the actor Tony Lobianco is? The name rings a bell. I he was in that cop movie, it. The Seven Ups in the 1970s. I got to meet him. A great guy. But you, you do. You get to meet a lot of famous people as a cop in New York. Yeah, that's got to be the awesome. Awesome. And you, you like you could. You have to maintain that composure, so it's not like you're, you're you know, you geek out on people. You you, you kind of meet them, and you're at work. You got to maintain your, you know, your professionalism. That would be the hardest like for me. Like meeting Jerry Orbach would be mind blowing. No, you don't um, maintain your professionalism when you meet somebody famous. Are you kidding me? I was down at I Ground Zero. I was no, dude. I, I we were down at Ground Zero, and De Niro, De Niro showed up, and it was like the Messiah. It was like oh, three, yeah. four o'clock in the afternoon. Everyone's tired. Everybody's sitting there in uniform. We're all hot, sweating our balls off. It smells like death down there. And you see these like cops just starting to stand up. And I'm like, who's coming? Like, because there were a lot of famous people coming down there to show their support. And everybody's jumping up. Like, and I'm like, who the fuck is coming? And somebody goes, De Niro, De Niro. I was like, holy shit. I'm a huge De Niro fan. So my sergeant goes, Vic, get up. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to bother me. He goes, you'll never forgive yourself. And he's pushing through the crowd and He's making that face, you know, and he's shaking hands. And I felt like Forrest Gump. Like I got shoved right into him. I go, Mr. De Niro, I'm a huge fan. He's like, you know, and he shook my hand and he just kept going. But, oh, no. Um, I met, um, yeah, oh, you guys probably. You ever seen the movie Scarface? Mm-hmm. All right. Remember the sure, movie yeah. Scarface? Omar Suarez, the guy that gets thrown out of the helicopter. Hey, my yeah, dad, yeah, I got yeah, to yeah, yeah. business. So shut the fuck up. That guy, mm-hmm. I'm in a bar in the Upper West Side of Manhattan with my ex-girlfriend, right? And I go, F. Murray Abraham. And she goes, who? I go, F. Murray Abraham. She goes, E.F. Hutton. I go, fuck it. <laughs> I don't date her no more. So fucking, I go running up to him at the bar. I go, Mr. Abraham. I says, I'm a huge fucking fan. I said, you know, at the time I was like in my 30s. I go, I grew up watching Scarface. I go, me and my friends go out at night. We imitate you all the time. He goes, get the fuck out of here. I'm like, no. I go, can I buy you a beer? He goes, no, come here, kid. Let me buy you a beer. And I hung out in a bar with him. His wife got, his wife or girlfriend got mad. My girlfriend got mad. But no, you know what? It's, um, you got to let your guard down when you meet somebody famous. I mean, yeah. I'm a big kid at heart, you know? Yeah. I can see that. But, um, so like on the chat, like what's the darkest joke or the most like fucked up joke you've ever heard? out of a cop, like walking on a, cr- on a crime scene. Like if you ever like pulled a, a yeah. stolen car out of the river and then they open the trunk and the dead whore comes yeah. out and some, and the, and the cop goes, well, we're not getting market price for her anymore. Like what's the. Yeah. My first, I, I could, I was in the police Academy and they wanted us to get a taste of death. So they marched my company, which was about 30 of us. They took us down to the morgue in Bellevue and it's nothing like an episode of Quincy. All right. In Quincy, there's one fucking slab and there's a guy in a white coat with a fucking clipboard. The morgue down at Bellevue, right? It was like a Jiffy Lube. 
There was like eight bays and they were cutting, right? I mean, there was like multiple autopsies going on. I was like, what the fuck? And they got that. That thing that the, that thing that those um the guys used to steal the fucking catalytic converters those wizard tools yeah and the yeah. they're the fucking sore in the back of people's heads and pulling their faces off and fucking yeah. between each gurney is those produce scales they used to have when your mother you yeah, know, when yeah, you were yeah. a kid you know your mother weighed like a fucking head of lettuce they're fucking putting brains in there and two point three pounds what a fucking moron like you know making fun of the guy's brain size <laughs> right. It was fucking like a horror movie, but there was a there was a kid who was like duct taped and hog tied, shot, shot multiple times, and the Emmy is there, and he's he's got like this tool that looked like um looked like needle nose pliers, but different, and he's pulling bullets out of this fucking kid's body, and he's dumping them in this metal pan, and you got this old time homicide de- detective hanging over his shoulder, eating like an egg McMuffin with a coffee, like, and it fucking <laughs> smells in there, man. Even though it's kind of refrigerated, it fucking stinks. And we're just standing like, we're kids, like 21 years old in our little police account. You don't want to fucking touch anything, right? And the detective goes, what do you think? And he goes, suspicious suicide. And they're fucking laughing. So- <laughs> 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 wow. You asked, I told. That's beautiful. Suspicious to us. That's great. I asked that question. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, but that's like, you know, using humor to cope with, with dark, you know, situations, I think is, is a way that a lot of dudes, you know, keep that balance. Um, you know, you have you ever one? met? You want to hear another? Sure, absolutely. It was fucking Halloween in the nineties, and you had these wilding packs of kids that were going around setting homeless people on fire and beating them up and shit around Halloween. So they were telling us, "Be careful with these teenagers." Last night, they cut the fucking, they sliced the ear off of some homeless guy, and this guy Jerry, I'll never forget, goes, "I hope that motherfucker don't wear glasses," and we couldn't <laughs> stop that. <laughs> <laughs> that it, those are the kind of things. Yeah, I I totally Dude, get. You that. know who he looks like? The guy with the checkered shirt. He looks like that Bond villain. Remember that guy? He was also the the actor's name is Michael. Guys, look it up. Michael, I think it's L A N D S Lansdowne Lansdowne. He was in the movie Ronin. He's the guy when De Niro gets shot, they take him to see. He start, he, 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 you mean he the man with like, the golden gun? No, not the man with the golden gun. The actor's name is Michael Lansdowne. L-A-N-D, L-A-N-D-S-D-O-N. He looks just like Ooh. him. That's, that's, I don't know. That's probably the second nicest thing anyone has said to me. Um, earlier today, Pete told me that I look like the leader of an opposition group. And yeah. I was, that's the, that's the <laughs> nicest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I see that too. You know, but uh, our, uh, our staff writer, staff writer, Bill has, has done an entire PowerPoint presentation of uh, celebrities that I am a shitty version of, um, you know, I, no, and, you're uh, a dead I, ringer for this guy. I hope <laughs> your friend can pull that shit up. <laughs> The guy was well, in Ronin and, and uh, what was the fucking Bond movie? I get uh, Moonraker. He was the bad guy in Moonraker. Uh, now, I know that who you're talking, now I know who you're talking about. Well, look I've, it up. I've, seen every, bond, I've seen every Bond movie, but now, now I know. 
Hold on, because I don't know what I don't know what he's talking. I think about. the guy's name was Drax or something in in movie. Yeah, Drax. 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 Gabriel, Gabriel Drax was the was the character. That's him. Uh, and I'm being interviewed by him. <laughs> there you go. You can, yeah. Just. Uh, I'm sorry, Hugo yep. Drax. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> see Lonsdale. Yeah. Lonsdale. Yep. I'll t- take it. I guess. Thank you. That's yeah. Very handsome gentleman, I think. There. Well, that guy. Right. That guy's using just for men. Ah, uh, there it is. I mean, Michael <laughs> Deal. Yeah, Michael Lonsdale. Michael Lonsdale. Yep. And yeah, Matt, look, look it up, dude. This dude, this dude's a dead ringer for you. Yeah. No, I'm, I guess that's. There maybe, maybe not today. Dude, I'm sorry because they're going to bust your no. balls forever about this shit. But no, but. no, there. That's it. That's. I mean, we found we found a picture that more resembled me. I guess. You know, I spent the first the first half of my life before I was able to grow facial hair. I was a very fat, fat man, and then uh, I just decided to wear a beard, and have for twenty some years now. Um, so I don't even really know what I look like. To be honest. <laughs> So, uh, uh, go ahead, Mike. Well, we like to joke around. We, we play jokes on one another from time to time. I have to assume the cops play jokes on each, played practical jokes on each other yeah. pretty often. Oh, all the fucking time. Um, when I was in the pre, when I was in a precinct, there was a guy, he wasn't too popular. He, he was a bit of a fucking weirdo and, uh, he had done a couple of fucked up things and, this is the early 90s when uh, Rogaine first came out and he made the mistake of leaving his locker open with the bottle. So these two fucking guys poured the contents out of the bottle and then filled it with um, uh, varnish. So the guy fucking, he went fucking banana like that or restrained him. He went fucking nuts. He stained the top of his head. Did not take it too well. Um, what we used to do is if we knew a sector car was going into the precinct for their hour meal in the summertime, You'd break into their car and you'd take the uh, AC vents out. You'd pour cornstarch down the holes and then you'd put the vents back and put the AC on high. So when they started the car, it would blow that shit all over you. Um, Which is great when you're in a navy blue uniform. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We used to fuck with each other. Another time when I was a detective, when you're a detective and you're working in a detective squad, there's 25 pairs of trained eyes on you. Nobody misses a fucking thing. And uh, one time I changed my slacks before the end of my tour. I had a date. And when I went to get a cup of coffee, one of the clowns in my office dumped ice water in my chair. I sit down. I get the wet ass. Everyone's fucking laughing at me. I'm like, you got me. I go upstairs. I change my pants. I go back downstairs. Across the street from our office was a pet store. I went into a pet store and I bought 100 crickets. <laughs> I put them in a bag for me. And I got a Slim Jim. I went out into our parking lot and I got into this cop's personal vehicle. I opened the door. I popped open the bag and those fucking things stink. Oh. And I threw them in the back seat of his car, slammed the fucking door. And I went back upstairs. He's like, hey, Vic, no hard feelings. Like, nah, we're good, man. Don't worry about it. We're watching out the window. He's pulling out of the parking lot. He slams on the brakes. He jumps out of the car. and He's like, what the fuck? Because I mean, there's a hundred of them. Yeah. And they're all over the place. <laughs> he roach bombed the car twice, but they continue to breed. So yeah, it was like a shit box. It was like an old eighty-eight or ninety-eight. Right. So you wound up having to sell the car. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, we <laughs> fuck with each other all the time. Send guys on interviews that didn't exist. Also, I mean, all constantly fucking around. There was a short guy nobody liked, and he would always take his boots at the end of his tour and put them on top of his locker to air out. And he was short, so he always had a stretch to get his boots down. So two guys <laughs> in my in my uh, in my precinct crazy glued. 
his boots oh, to the top the, of the yeah, fucking line. These are the ones and I the love. The little fuck is on his toes trying to pull him up. So he had to get a ladder, step ladder and use a knife. Yep, and he yep, cut yep, the yep. fucking heels off. And then he didn't buy new boots. So he waddled around <laughs> until he finally got a new pair of boots. Wow. That, I, I, I identify with that one. Not only am I kind of a short guy, but I worked in a deli when I was a kid. And the owner's uncle would come in and the regulars had a coffee cup. It just through the door in the back room, there was a series of hooks on the shelf overhead. And Uncle Stock was was just he couldn't reach it. But if he hopped, he could tip it up just enough to knock the handle off the hook and grab it. And every now and again somebody would reach up and squeeze his hook. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he, you'd hear him hop three, four times. You sons of bitches! <laughs> it, it makes time go by. Like most people think. I mean, you approach the average cop with a question. You're going to get that stoic, robotic. A cop's going to talk to you all day long through the screen door. He's not going to let you in because he really doesn't know what your motives are. Right? He doesn't know. He'll try to help you the best he can, but you know, especially in today's climate, he, he's not going to. You're not going to know much about that guy. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of shit going on in the precinct or the office. They're always fucking around. I'll tell you a story. I mean, there was a guy nobody liked and uh, did some fucked up things. And um, he went on vacation. And another cop, he had this mug that it was his mug and don't touch my mug. And fucking one of the guys put their fucking balls in the mug and they took a fucking Polaroid of the fucking mug <laughs> and they fucking and then they took the Polaroid and they stuffed it in his DAR file so DARs are daily activity reports so you pull a DAR out you fill it out so I guess he'd gone through about 10-15 DARs and 10-15 cups of coffee and he saw someone's fucking cocking balls <laughs> in a fucking mug and he fucking oh, lost his mind oh wow <laughs> Aren't you glad we I've don't never, do the show I, in the same room, Matt? Last <laughs> thing I want to see is a picture of your balls. There was another guy. Well, there, <laughs> there was another guy. He always any cop that uses their fucking whistle is a moron. I mean, they give you certain pieces of equipment that goes in the fucking garbage or in your locker until like at roll call, they ask for it and then you present it. So there's this one cop always using that fucking whistle. So one of the cops got a hold of his whistle. He stuck it in his ass. He had another cop take the fucking photo, put the whistle back on the cop's gun belt. Same thing. A <laughs> couple of days go by and the guy gets the photo and you could. So the photo had a picture of the back of someone. And the way when you wear a gun belt, it leaves marks on your back. This fucking guy was running around the locker room for weeks trying to figure out who it was, like an ass lineup. Like, hey, let me see the, get the fuck out of here. The guy's like, get the fuck out of here, you know, because we figured out what he was trying to do. Oh. <laughs> an ass lineup. Actually, no. you know what? A whistle. There were these two cops that I know, early 90s, they go to pull over a stolen car. The guy takes off. Guy crashes the car, right? 99% of the time when you're chasing a stolen car, the bad guy runs. He's running, right? This guy just got out of jail and he was fucking jacked and a crackhead. He turns around and fucking punches this guy that I know, gets his gun away from him and fucking shoots my friend in the chest, oh. right? My friend's wearing his vest. He goes down, right? The guy grabs the other cop who I know, 
gets him in a headlock, right? And he squeezed. It was the 38. So it's only got six shots. So he's got one off. He hit my buddy in the chest, right? And as he's firing rounds at this cop's head, the cop was like, you know, fighting him. Right. So the shots are going wide, right? Guy didn't blow an off, hole to his arm, didn't hit the cop in the head, right? Guy runs out of bullets. He starts running with the gun. The precinct cops show up. They light him up. You know, he's a shopping cart now, shitting into a bag. But at the hospital, the cop, you know, that was in the headlock, he's a fucking nervous wreck. He reaches into his pants to get us to get some change, to get a soda from the vending machine at the hospital. He cuts his hand. The fucking bullet ricocheted off the whistle in his pocket because they asked for it at roll call. So he put it in his pocket in case they, they, they wanted to see it. Right. And fucking molted this fucking the 38 grazed the fucking whistle and disintegrated it. Oh, wow. That's wow. You know, those are the, the crazy things that you don't think about. Yeah, I went to visit my the one that was shot. I went to see him in the hospital that night. I go, I got to see. So he lifts up his gown. And I mean, it was fucking purple. red and purple. And and I said, what did it feel like? He goes, he goes, it was like getting hit in the stomach with a baseball bat. He goes, the sound was so loud. It's like everything just kind of stopped for a second. He goes, and the next, he goes, I, I saw the flash. He goes, and the next thing I knew I was on the floor. And he goes, if you've ever gotten the wind knocked out of you, he goes, times a hundred. He goes, because I thought I was dead. He goes, he goes, it felt like, he goes, it felt like I couldn't hear. My senses were all fucked up. I could see, I, I don't want to say the guy's name, wrestling. He goes, but I couldn't get up off the ground. It's like the pain was just so intense. Wow. Now, did you like have it in the back of your mind through your whole tour of service that you were going to write books and, and that you were going to like, this was all, this is going to be a good story. And did you take notes and, and have this in your head or what got you into writing? I was bored out of my mind. I retired from the NYPD. I moved down to Florida. <laughs> I got a job with a small police department and I went from working organized crime in America's largest police department to Mayberry. And I, you know, I was like, Oh no. Like in Florida, I spent a half a day learning how to wrestle a gator. And like, I'm like, I'm not fucking doing this. Can't we just shoot these things? And they're like, no, carry duct tape. I'm like, get the fuck out. No. So I was a cop in Florida for like a cup of coffee, like six or eight months. I re-retired and I was bored out of my mind. And my friends and family are like, you got all these fucking stories, man. You should write them down. And I I. I did have a photographic memory. I'm starting to lose it. I don't, my memory isn't what it used to be, but luckily for me, I do still have a good memory. And all my friends are cops, guys that I grew up mm-hmm. with. My brother's a cop. So I'm on the phone with my friends all the time and they feed me shit. I mean, 90% of the stories are things that happen to me and I know firsthand, but sometimes I, my friends are feeding me stories. Yeah. I mean, you got to go, but you got to, you got to use it. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, I guess what's the strangest thing that ever happened to you on the job? There's so many. I mean, we 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 would be here all night, but I I can tell you, I mean, what do you guys want to hear? You want to hear funny, you want to hear homicides. I mean, you you tell me you point me in a direction and I'll tell you a story. Well, funny homicides. Want to hear a good homicide? <laughs> yes. <laughs> funny homicides? Really? No, 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 not that's funny. Where, um, no, that's funny where Matt's go. Is that a funny homicide? No, I was. Just, I was just... <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, man, I, 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 I'm made to order. Um, all right, I'll tell you a good homicide. So, um, I'll tell you a quick, a short homicide story. Early, late '80s, 
um, working in the Bronx. It was a Friday night. It was hot. And there's this road that takes you out to City Island. And on one side of the road, you've got Co-op City. And then the other side is this abandoned landfill where everybody's getting cancer from. And it's just this big fucking mountain of crap that they put a cap on with with grass. And um, we're driving by. It's about 1130 at night. And um, we see the land pirates putting out a fire. So we pull up and, you know, the fire department, this Toyota Corolla, it's they're putting the fire out. So we just stopped, right? And uh, they're taking the plates off the car and uh, they go, oh, let's see what's in the trunk. So one of them takes one of those tools, the K-bar, I think it's Alligator called. Alligator yeah. Okay, so they pop the trunk and it's a Toyota Celica, right? So it's a tiny car. There's two grown men shoved in the trunk, right? They're duct taped, you know, their mouths and stuff. One guy's blinking, the other guy's dead. And oh, I, look down Christ. On, I look on the ground, I see shell casings. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is a crime scene. Yeah. So definitely a drug Wait, hit. It was the shell cases, not the dudes taped in the trunk. <laughs> the guys are in the trunk. One's dead. One's alive, but barely. He was blinking, but he, he expired a couple of minutes later. But whoever killed them yeah. drove them there, right? Opened the trunk. They were alive. Mm-hmm. Opened the trunk. Shot them a couple of times with a 22 slammed the trunk and started an interior fire oh, yeah, hoping that, to burn up the evidence yeah, that, that's a professional job there uh, drugs definitely drugs um and you know the guy they took they, we took them out of the trunk and the guy was blinking we took the thing off but he was kind of brain dead you know so mm-hmm. like you know who shot you Abla Espanol, blah, blah, blah. and he was just like blinking 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 and then he just stopped blinking and he was done wow mm. so did you, they figure out who did it now that was, I mean, I was a patrolman. I have no idea. You got to remember too, New York, we used to average like 26, 2700 homicides a year. So like you just kind of would bump into them. And unless you yeah. asked, you really didn't know what happened. You had a lot it. of follow-up. <laughs> yeah. And at that time I was in a citywide unit. So I was just kind of passing through and I never, I look at it this way. I never got called to court on it. I never had to testify about it. So chances yeah. are, no, that's an unsolved homicide. Because, or if they did make an arrest and there had to have been two people involved, because more than likely there was someone that followed with a car. Well, yeah, somebody had- to be dropped off there in the middle of nowhere. Wow. You know what I mean? That's like a no man's land. So chances are someone followed with a car. There were two people involved, yeah. but I never went to court on it. So I have no idea. You'd recognize, you know, yeah, you, wow, that's- somebody would remember a pedestrian after that. <laughs> yeah, in that area, yeah. I mean, I walked in on a homicide once where um kid killed his mother. Ugh. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of these movies where the killer is mm-hmm. in the room. It came over as a cardiac. We we go up to the six-story walk-up. It's hot as balls, like September evening. There's people screaming in an apartment. We get into the ki- When you go to the kitchen, it was a galley kitchen. And I saw mm-hmm. a pair of legs on the floor. We walk over. There's blood all over the kitchen. And there's this young man on top of this woman and he's crying, mama, 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 mama. And we get him up and we sit him down. The apartment's been ransacked and there's blood all over the kitchen. There's blood on the walls. There's blood on the phone, blood on the counter. But, you know, when you cut yourself, blood is bright red. Mm -hmm. And over time, it turns brown or a rust color. Right. Mm -hmm. So the blood, she had been dead for many hours, but she didn't smell yet. But so probably about four hours. So we sit him down and he's a nervous wreck. He's crying. And, you know, I'm a patrolman. I wasn't a detective at the time. So I'm just asking him summary questions, you know, just like what happened? What was yeah. the last time you saw? I'm not putting the screws to this kid. And he goes from 
excited, crying, hysterical to measure like that. Like, wh- when was the last time you saw your mother? When was the last time I saw my mother? Right. So he yeah. starts getting fucking weird, right? Yeah. He he's running so, questions right. back so, to you. <laughs> right. So then we start looking around the apartment, and although it's ransacked, it's obvious it's been staged. So when okay. someone breaks into your house, right, they're pulling out drawers and they're dumping it and they're going because a, a burglar is on the clock. Yep. He's not going to make himself a sandwich unless he's fucking nuts. Right. I mean, he's dumping shit, yep. going through shit. He's gone. So the drawers were dumped out and put back. Who does that? Yeah. The contents of her bag were dumped over and the bag was put back. The credit cards were still there. So something wasn't right. So the detectives bring him into the precinct. I'm tasked with working with um, crime scene unit. They're telling me what to vouch or put this in a paper bag, you know. So in an NYPD protocol, when someone do- summons a victim of a homicide, the first responding cops guarding the crime scene, when the medical examiner takes the body, you have to, it's, it's a little piece of oak tag with string. It's called a 95 tag. You've got to write your information, the victim's information, and you tie it to their big foot for mm-hmm. identification purposes at the morgue, right? I go to the precinct that night, and um, the detectives are talking to him, and I go, what's going on with this? And they go, we don't know if he did it, but he he's definitely knows something he's not telling us, right? And he had three uncles. The woman had three brothers that lived in the next building across the street. And um, the young man, he didn't ask for a lawyer. He didn't lawyer up, but he, he said he wanted to go home. So you don't want him to say he wants a lawyer, so you back off, right? So they said, all right, all right, yeah, you're free to go, right? So they told the uncles, listen, your nephew knows more than he's telling us. Maybe he'll tell you something, and they all leave. The following morning was like a Sunday. Yeah, it was Sunday. Um, the next day, the the, 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 the the cop that shows up that does that 95 tag, which was me, you got to go to the morgue and ID the body. So the body was up in Jacoby Hospital, which was like a mini morgue. It's not like the big one down in Manhattan. And I go down there, skeleton crew. I got paperwork. I show the, the kid behind the counter the woman's name, right? He goes into a refrigerated room and he wheels out a gurney and he pulls off the sheet and it's a black guy with a beard. And I go, no. I said, female Hispanic. And he goes, mm-hmm. oh, puts the sheet back over the black guy and he wheels him back into the room. Comes out five seconds later, pulls off the sheet. It's a wino, a Spanish guy. I go, dude. Oh, what are you fucking breaking my balls? Like, I didn't come here to see everybody that got killed in the Bronx last night. I'm here to see this one. I go, let me in there. So I go in this refrigerator room. You know, when you go into a 7-Eleven and you pull open the door to grab a soda and uh-huh. you can see it's just like that. It's just like that, right? So you go into this fucking room, big fucking refrigerator room, and there's like eight, you know, gurneys uh-huh. with cheeks. And I'm looking and I see my handwriting on that little piece of paper on her toe. I pull the sheet off. I go, that's her. I ID her. I sign for the body. I go back to the precinct to talk to the detectives and they're all high-fiving each other. Like they're all celebrating. I'm like, what the fuck happened? So what they did was they got up bright and early and they go back to the building where the kid lived with his mother to interview him again. They, they figure, let him, we're going to get him first thing in the morning when he's half asleep. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can get something out of him. Thank God the two detectives were Spanish. When they hit the hallway of that building, they heard screaming in Spanish. So they kind of stepped back. They didn't actually go all the way in. And it was the uncles tearing into their nephew. What the fuck happened to your mother? You know more. The cops told us. And the kid gave it up in the hallway saying, basically what happened was he was a crackhead. And he, 
use and then he wouldn't use. And he was on a crack binge and he was stealing the mother's jewelry and pawning it, and, you know, being a pain in the ass. And she said, I can't take it no more. You got to leave. Picked up a butcher knife, stabbed to death in the kitchen, takes a shower, takes the clothes, takes the murder weapon, puts it in a plastic bag. And what he does is he leaves the apartment and he leaves the door ajar, hoping that one of the neighbors sees it and goes in and finds her. And then he'll come back and then start the ball rolling. He comes back, gets rid of the murder, goes on the train, goes into Manhattan, dumps all the evidence, comes back. No one's found her. People see, have seen him now coming and going. Mm -hmm. So then he goes, picks up the phone and calls the police and starts the ball rolling. But the uncle's got it out of him in the hallway and back at the precinct, he gives another statement. And as I last checked, that happened in 94. He's still in jail. So and good for him. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is a crazy story. Very crazy story. Um, You want another one? (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) Thank you, sir. May I have another? Same time period, early 90s. It's a Tuesday night. Slow, slow, raining out. Probably same, you know, early fall. Pouring rain. No, the radio's dead. Comes over as a domestic at at the south end of the precinct. So one radio car picks up the call. It's dead. Another car says, yeah, we're going to back. They start heading over. Couple of seconds later, the dispatcher goes, I'm getting multiple calls on this. It sounds violent. Whatever's going on, I'm getting multiple calls from that building. So now we should, me and my partner goes, now there's three cars going, right? Mm. The first car that arrives pulls up on the side of the building, not to the front. It's raining out. They get out of the car and it's like three-story garden apartments. It was like three or four stories, this building, right? When they get out of the radio car, they hear screams coming out of the, coming through the window. And they were young, young cops. They said, fuck it, we're going up the fire escape, which 99% of the time you would have gone to the front of the building, but they go up the fire escape. They go up the fire escape, the window's half open, and they look in, there's a woman laid out on the floor, and there's a guy above her with a carving knife, and he's basically decapitating her. They get on the radio, and they're like, they're screaming into the radio, like screaming like children. That's how, I mean, it was horrific, right? They're like, Central, he's cutting her fucking head off, Get you know, get the cavalry here, right? We race up. When we're getting out of the car, we go to the front of the building. As we're pulling up, we hear about six shots. Boom, 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 boom. We put over shots fired. Mm-hmm. We run up the stairs. As we're going up the stairs, there's a teenage boy coming down the stairs, and he's screaming. He's killing my mother. He's killing my mother. So we push past him. We're banging on the door, trying to kick the door in, and we hear our to- two coworkers inside the apartment. They're screaming, don't shoot, don't shoot, because they're afraid they're going to get right. hit with friendly fire from us, right? Which can happen. So they open the door and it was like something out of a Stephen King movie. We walk in and it's like someone lit off a brick of firecrackers. You know, if you're firing a gun six or seven times in an apartment, mm-hmm. the gunpowder is all over the place, right? As I'm walking on the floor, my fucking feet are sticking to the floor. Everything in that apartment was broken. So it was a, a boyfriend, girlfriend. He, um, She was older than him. I think she wanted to leave. He took a fucking hammer and destroyed everything in that apartment, the wall, the toilet, the pictures, the floor. I mean, he was going to hell and he didn't care what he wow. did. It was she's laid out on the floor. There's a hole in her head from the hammer like her, her brain was cracked. This was gone. And like I said, there was so much blood between him being shot and what he did to her. Your feet was just sticking to the floor. It was disgusting. Uh, yeah. And I will never forget the look on that woman's face, because, you know, you see on TV and stuff, people die with their eyes closed. 
Her mouth was open and it was like her last guess was a scream. It was it was terrifying. Wow. So my partner and I grabbed the two cops that did the shooting and we took them to the hospital. And um, another wild story. We're in the hospital. We're all getting interviewed. And in the NYPD, they just give you uniforms. No NYPD cop goes to a tailor. Go go Google what NYPD cops, all the clothes are baggy because we're not paying for the tailor. So these cops were wearing baggy pants. When they were banging on that window to get the guy to stop, he turned around with the carving knife, ran towards them, threw open the window, goes, you want fucking some of this? And he's swinging out the window with the knife and they they hit him. Back then we had 38s. So they hit him a couple of times with the 38. He fell back into the apartment. My One of my friends that shot him, he put his hands on his pants. The guy had cut a hole in his fucking pants with the knife when he was way. That's how close he got with that fucking wow. knife. Wow. Damn. <laughs> that's got goosebumps. That's Wow. Jesus Christ. I'm, like, I'm at a standstill. I can't. I was captivated by so, the story. So we, we've had. I, I could listen to you tell stories for hours. Yeah, absolutely. So buy we, my books. <laughs> we, 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 I'm, I'm absolutely, Nick can out. be found on Amazon. You will you will find a link to all of uh, Vic's books when we post this. Uh, yeah, in, in the in the description of the podcast, I did. It's in the title of I, when of the live when when I go back and edit it. Yep, and when we post the video, uh, you know, in separate pieces, though we'll have the uh the link up there to uh to your books and uh i appreciate you know, it absolutely uh you've been an absolutely terrific guest vic i really yep. really appreciate your time yeah lots of fun um yeah absolutely like i could yeah, again you know hey you guys ever want me back man you, you're gonna read my books you know you you got questions i'll talk have you back on again awesome. no problem i do have one last question uh, well, you will absolutely be okay all right what do you miss most about the job? I mean, oh, you, you said you're you're retired and you're, you're you're living your life down in Florida writing books. Oh, the action! The action. I was an adrenaline okay. junkie. I loved car chases. Like we weren't allowed to chase, but that's the dirty little secret. The NYPD. We all did. The way it works is with stolen. You're only allowed to chase somebody for a violent felony, right? But the reality is, we used to chase stolen cars all the time, and. You would put it over that you weren't chasing, but anybody with a half a brain would hear sirens in the background and <laughs> distance you're traveling, you know, in seconds. You know what I mean? Yep. So the sergeant would play dumb and go, uh, Central is uh, 50 Charlie chasing that vehicle. Negative Central. And you'd hear the car going on two wheels. Right. <laughs> so then they'll They're let just- you chase for a while. And then the duty captain will come on the air and he'll say, Central, is that vehicle in pursuit? No, Central. And then. When the duty captain attempts to terminate a pursuit, and I never agreed with this because you can get somebody killed, guys would start stepping on the duty captain, keying their mic. Yeah. So he couldn't be heard. So you could say, I, I didn't hear them terminate the pursuit. So if you get into a car chase back then, nowadays they'll probably cut your balls off. But back then, if you got into a car chase with a stolen car, as long as nobody got hurt, no harm, no foul. No one's going to look to yeah. bust your balls. If God forbid that perp gets really hurt in a car accident, God forbid a civilian gets hurt. You crash up the yep. radio car. They, they, they're going to fuck you. But I mean, like I said, I was an adrenaline junkie I, and I, I miss foot chases. I just miss the action. I miss the camaraderie. But that's the beauty of writing these books, right? I mean, I get to live vicariously mm-hmm. through myself. I mean, you guys, can, if you watch this again, watch how I perk up when yeah. I'm telling these yeah, stories. You know absolutely. What I mean?
Yeah, well, my favorite subject is me, so it would make sense that your favorite subject would, you know, be you. You know, that's, that's true. <laughs> it, it is true. But, dude, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate you coming on. We absolutely will have you back. Uh, you go to Amazon. You can find all of Vic's books, uh, not just the ones about the NYPD. Uh, you know, there's there, he's got some other titles up there, and it sounds like he's got a few more in him. Uh, so keep your eyes open for that. Again, thank you very much, Vic. Um, you know, I, I can't uh, I can't thank you enough. You're really the, the first the first of our new uh, new guests that we uh, you know encountered from the from Podmatch. Really appreciate it. No, I appreciate it. Podmatch is great. I mean, it, it's paired me up with with some really good hosts. You guys were great. I was looking forward to this one actually because. You never know what you're going to get with a host. I try to, I mean, I do so many interviews that I really don't have time to like really um, do like a background check on who I'm going to meet. And sometimes like someone will hit me up from Podmatch and I'm like, oh no, this is not going to be a good fit. You know what I mean? It's just got, no one's going to watch this fucking thing and it's just going to be a big waste of time. But I, I could tell you guys, we we all got the same sense of humor. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's it's ball busting. And, you know, like I said, like yeah. you guys can ask me anything. I mean, yeah. I mean, next time, if you guys want to ask me about police corruption, I got a chapter in one of my books called Crossing Over the Dark Side, where there's stories about cops that went bad, unfortunately, that I knew and worked with. I knew a guy, but we used to call him El Diablo. We stole a horse and carriage for a ride through Central Park. I know a guy that fucking moved a dead body to get out of work in overtime. So <laughs> next time you have me on, wow. I, I can definitely fill up another hour for nice. you guys. Nice. Corruption on, on every level is from from the lowest level of just not wanting to do your fucking job to, to actually getting you know and kickbacks. I, I I personally specifically avoided talking so that I wouldn't go into controversial topics like that one. <laughs> Listen, well, thirty five thousand person department right and they do well like when i was there i don't know what goes on now i'm out 15 years but when i was there the amount of background checks psychological exams they fucking hunted down every employer i worked for and interviewed them to make sure did i get fired was i a thief was i you know did i have a bad temper they did a really good job but here's the thing with 35,000 people you're gonna get bad apples it's just it's just it happens and I mean, in my books, I try to spell it out. Sometimes you have people that have very high IQs, but they're fucking nuts. And they take that job like the mafia mm -hmm. cops. Those two guys out in Brooklyn that went to jail, they were helping um, the Lucchese crime family yeah. doing hits and finding finding people that, that they wanted to kill. Um, they find each other. They're waiting for that right opportunity. And let's fucking go for it. Mm -hmm. Right. Then you got people. They just change. It's um, they, they feel wronged. Or they 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 get involved with somebody or something and it just escalates or they get into financial straits and they figure, oh, who the fuck's gonna know? Yeah. Who's gonna I was just talking to another cop the other day about a story about these guys got whacked in a car and there was money in the car and this guy took the money and then it's a whole big story, but I mean, I've got stories like that. It's like there's not a lot of corrupt cops that I saw considering the size of the department. But yeah, every now and then someone goes bad. Happens. But I will say this yeah. about the NYPD, man. I mean, they don't fuck around. From the moment you're hired, they tell you you're going to be fired. And they will move heaven and earth to fucking throw you to the wolves. It's not like you see on TV. You fail a drug test, you're out the fucking door. You fail a drug test, they're in your locker. 
Mm. Taking your guns, taking your shield. I mean, there's not second chances. You're done. I mean, that's yeah. it. And they will prosecute you. So, you know, shame on you oh, if you're going to cool. fucking play that way. Wow. <laughs> oh, don't forget to ask me about the drug test. I got fucking stories about that. You guys won't fucking All right. believe. All right. So when's your next book coming out? Because we're going to put you I'm on the calendar. Another, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm working on another NYPD book now. I'm about 200 pages in. I don't have a title. But um, that'll probably be out late spring, early summer. All right. Write it down, Matt. We got to we gotta put them on the calendar. Yes, sir. Um, I'm, we'll figure that out before that. I'm Maybe sure. you want. If we you can, guys have like, get into some time, shit. you want to talk, you ask me about the book Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate. We I got so many mob stories in that one. The mafia was in my family. I got stories about oh. people getting thrown down flights of stairs and shit. And- so you, you, all right. There, there's a whole nother, there's a whole nother show in this. Yep. Yeah, like um, I said, there is. There is. Yeah, no, I, I, thank you so much. Well, go, I was going to ask you, you if you would come, you know, like yeah, to come absolutely. on again. This is a blast. You know, we, we will. Do. I really appreciate that. That's what we try to, you know, put together. You know, fun show, uh, and try to get different. It's you know the way we do. It's like I, you know, like I explained. It's kind of like like a morning radio show, but you know this is a little bit different because we're we're just kind of you know talking straight at you, um, and you know we've this is the least amount of lifting I think Mike and I have ever done. We just go, you know, I I, I didn't even finish a question. You're like, oh shit, let me tell you this story. I'm like, okay, well, you know what it is, I, and I get it from both. Like I see it on your end. Like I've had hosts that just don't know what to do with me. And, you know, they're looking at note cards and it's, it's, it's like when Kramer has, uh, gets the Mike Douglas show, uh, the Merv Griffin show on Seinfeld and he's like, interviewing yes! friends. yeah, I, I've been on podcast. He gets it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And it's like, listen, I, I know when to elaborate and when to shut the fuck up. And I, I'm going by your reaction. I'm going yeah. by your facial expression. You guys look like you want to roll a coaster. I'm going to keep giving it to you. If you guys look like you're getting pissed off a of board, I'm going to shut the fuck up. But I've been on podcasts. I was on one with some guy and nice enough guy, but he's got a moldy drop ceiling above his head. And as he's talking to me, he's stroking a white cat like a Bond villain. I'm like, I'm going to watch this. I'm never going to get this hour of my life back. Like, what the fuck? So you, you don't know what these podcasts, but like this was really fun. You know what I mean? And I appreciate it. And, you know, I was a little nervous because I saw like, this is like the Brady Bunch with all these heads. Right. And I've been on podcasts where guys are stepping all over each other, but you guys work it out and it's fun and you all got good personalities and bring something to the show. But I've been on other ones where I'm like, I'm just going to sit back and let that fucking talk. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be there when you want me. You know what I mean? So, no, this yeah, worked out yeah. well. Well, you know, I, we do appreciate that. And, you know, we did uh, about two years of just practicing amongst ourselves before it we takes time. involved. I mean, it's a craft to do you know, involved. And we, you know, we've kind of been trying to, you know, figure it out on our own over the, over the past few years. And, uh, you know, we do appreciate you enjoying the show and enjoying yeah. what you walked into. And, uh, you know, we will definitely see again. I'm, I'm the, the only reason I'm winding down is because I think, you know, I, I'm be trying to be respectful of your time. If, yeah, you know, I've done three I'm not pod- trying to. No, no, yeah. And I've done three today. Like, I'm losing my voice. I've done three podcasts. I do like 10 a week. But today, for whatever reason, I booked wow. three. And I don't mind at all because this was this was actually the the funnest one I had today. But, yeah, <laughs> I got a, I got I got a 120-pound shitting machine that I got to take for a walk. I got an uh, Irish wolfhound. Wow. <laughs> They're big. 
Yeah. No, I, I, I have a shooting machine myself, uh, but it's half Australian Shepherd and half Great Dane. That is, it's poking at the door. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, but again, I'm not trying to, I, I, I'm not trying to rush you off. I'm just, I'm just trying to be respectful for your time and, you okay. know, wind down the show. We will have you uh, absolutely back again, Vic. You absolutely. know, been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you. And just send me the link when this is up and I'll yep. post it on my social media platform. Very cool. I absolutely will. Stick around very for very a minute cool. after we thank cut you the stream. Very much. Sure. Stick around for a minute after we cut the stream. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Media Virus Podcast special podcast unit. You can reach us at 1646-VIRUS-01. You can find us on the internet at www.themediavirus.com. And if you have questions for the next time we have Vic back, because that's definitely going to happen, again, that's 1646-VIRUS-01 or themediavirus.com. On behalf of Vic, Big Daddy, Grease Monkey Pete, and our fearless leader, Matty Rockdeff, I'm Professor Mike Latouris, coming from to you live, high atop Uncle Butch Studios. We're out of here. I wish I could hear the bumpers through the headphones. I had no, but I, I was, you know, I kind of want. I had no, but I was, you know, I kind of want.